Hi, everyone. Now, look, I know that this has been a very uncertain time. Actually, I don't even know why I'm saying that in the past tense. It still is an uncertain time. But one thing is for certain, and that's that local businesses have been hit hard. So if you have a book you want to read or an album you want to buy, order it from your local bookstore or record store. While it is true that you're just one person, one person can make a difference. So order some books, order some music. I know Amazon is super convenient. They drone it in. They open your door quietly while you're sleeping, and they gently place your package on the table. And when you wake up, there it is, the thing that you forgot you ordered. So support your local indie bookstore or record store or both. And if you don't have a local indie bookstore or a record store or both, support a community who does. Okay? I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. The crew is late. They've changed the game. And now the systems are down. From his first solo album, Last Flight Home, that is the music of my guest today on the program, Todd Suckerman. Let me tell you a little bit about Todd Suckerman. A beautiful song, but I'm guessing you probably didn't recognize Todd Suckerman's voice, did you? That's okay. He's never made a solo record before, so nobody's going to fault you for that. So, you're not familiar with Todd Suckerman as a singer, but you definitely are familiar with him as a drummer. Back in the mid-90s, the Chicago native joined the ranks of a band helmed by a couple of other Chicago natives. That band was Styx. And when Suckerman joined the outfit in 1995, he was just 26 years old. Pretty young to be joining a legendary band, but you're talking about a guy who played drums since he was two. No problem. 25 years later, Suckerman is still with the band, and along the way, he's become one of the most in-demand and respected drummers on the planet. He's played with Brian Wilson, Spinal Tap, Peter Cetera, Michael Bolton, John Wetton, and Tommy Shaw. And in 2009, he was voted by Modern Drummer as the number one rock drummer in the world. His Methods and Mechanics DVD series, both volumes 1 and 2, won multiple awards in drumming education. And in May of this year, after 49 years of slugging away behind the kit, Suckerman put out his first solo album. Is it hard for a drummer to step to the front and become a lead singer? Well, I'll let Todd tell you all about that. To my ears, it sounds effortless and fantastic. Last Flight Home is filled with soaring choruses, effortless pop hooks, and poetic and lyrical introspection. I talked to Todd about life, getting older, and our mutual love of the Blue Nile. Enjoy our conversation. It's a good one. Right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
probably have uh, 60 to 80 shows that will have to be rescheduled. Uh, you know, uh, I, I miss going out playing. I, I miss the guys in the band and the crew. Um, and uh, I, I'm on, I, at, right, at present, I'm unable to record at home because I've always employed an engineer. So I can concentrate on the music and he can concentrate on the uh, technical side and the downloads and the technical issues and the uh, troubleshooting again so I could concentrate on the music. Um, so if you offered me a million dollars to record a single snare drum hit in my recording studio, I could not do that for you right now. <laughs> so that will be, uh, that's going to be one of my, how I spent my summer uh, activities is, uh, you know, learning how to work Pro Tools and how to run my studio uh, because I, I'm, I'm unable to uh, record the sessions that I'm asked for right now. Have you been sort of pivoting creatively? Have you found that you've, that you've been innovating just out of necessity? Well, I mean, that, that's really where this record takes center stage because um, it, it, when f February hit, the, the record was done, mixed, mastered, and manufactured. And then COVID-19 hit. And I thought to myself, and my wife was in uh, agreement that, well, we can't release a record during a global pandemic and an economic crisis. Uh, it just can't can't be done. And as that went on for a couple of weeks, I had a few musician friends and close confidants say to me, well, you know, you have this done and it's ready to go. Maybe now's the time to release a record when people have the time to sit and listen to music like never before, or at least in a few decades. Mm. Um, and I read someone say something to the effect of, if you have new music, release it now because there's someone that can hear it here that might not be able to hear it later. Uh, and then my wife started to change her tune as various friends started to encourage the release, but I was still very conflicted about it. And I didn't want to appear like I'm, you know, working a record and hawking my wares in the <laughs> middle of, you know, uh, 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 the, the most peculiar situation we've ever found ourselves in. So, uh, in essence, what I ended up doing with a conflicted mind and heart, I went to both my Facebook pages, Instagram and, and, and YouTube and posed the question, I have this record, it's ready to go. Are you interested in new music at a time like this? Should I wait for brighter days or should I go full steam ahead? And the overwhelming, beautiful response was 99.9%. Please release it now. Do it, do it, do it. Full steam ahead. So I ended up moving the release date from May 30th up to May 2nd without any plan, without any infrastructure, without that part of the website built. Um, so that has really kept me busy over the last several weeks, getting all that together uh, to get ready to announce a pre-order, do the pre-orders, and, uh, and for the launch tomorrow. Yeah, I'm glad that you didn't postpone it. I'm glad that you went full, you know, full steam ahead and you, and you crowdsourced the response is really, really a cool thing. It's a marvelous record. And it, um, there's something incredibly uplifting about it at, at a time like this. It feels, it feels like it's a really good listen. Uh, well, th thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. I mean, e even though there's some uh, melancholy <laughs> uh, bits uh, in, in the songs and there's, there's a bit of darkness here yeah. and there, there's still a resounding uh, bit of hope uh, within those songs, 
Uh, and I think that you know, that might uh, reflect what's happening right now. I mean, it's pretty dark what's going on, but you know, we will get through this. You know, there will be a phoenix rising from the ashes, but there's going to be some ashes. Um, and I, I think that re reflects that a little bit um, in, in tone. Are you, by general terms, are you an, op an optimistic guy? Uh, that de depends on which one of my friends that you would ask. Um, <laughs> ultimately, I am, but I, I can also be very cynical and pessimistic at times. And some of my pessimism, I, I somehow rationalize as realism uh, to me. But, but, but ultimately, you know, I, I think love and kindness wins out at the end. What has happened to you creatively? Are you playing a lot um, at home? Because the artists I've talked to, they're playing their heads off. Are you, are you doing that or have you taken a break or what is your daily practice? I, I started to practice a lot right when this hit. I've, I've eased back a little bit because I've been busy with the record. I've been busy with let's fix some things around the house that have been <laughs> neglected for a little bit. Um, you know, like I have a six-year-old daughter that's homeschooling and it seems like the days go by pretty quickly, um, to, to be honest. But th that being said, to, to answer your question, um, one thing that I'm doing now is trying to keep my skills sharp, trying to keep uh, my physical ability up on the drums because, you know, one day, when this is over and it's time to go back and play a show, I don't want to feel like I've aged 20 years um, because I, I didn't keep up. So that's a very important aspect, um, trying to work on some new, new ideas, also going back and refining some of the, the, the physical basics. Uh, and at the same time, part of my practice routine is um, keeping my ideas sharp on the new Sticks record. Um, you know, had, had COVID-19 uh, not hit and life had continued in a normal fashion. Um, all the drum tracks for the new Sticks record would have been recorded in Nashville two weeks ago. So um, with my practice routine, I, I will pull out at least three or four songs, different songs every other day in some sort of rotation. So I remember what I, what the ideas that I wanted to play. Again, you know, I, I'm going to get a phone call when the smoke is cleared. Okay, we're going in to record the, the record, and I don't want to be sitting there going what did I used to want to play here? What, I forgot I had some cool things I wanted to do here. Right. What, what, I, hold on guys. I have to think, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to have that sensation. So um, I'm just trying to keep, keep my skills sharp. And you know, the older we get, you kind of have to work even a little harder. It doesn't matter how long, you know, one has played the drums or the oboe or violin or whatever. As you get older, you have to keep those skills sharp. And it's a relationship that you have with the instrument. If you don't see, you know, a, a, a family member for a very long time or, or talk to them, there, there's something that happens to that relationship. It becomes a little strained or estranged. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to uh, keep very familiar and, and, and keep all the synapses firing um, the way they should. I was talking to um, Elon Rubin from Nine Inch Nails, who he plays drums for them, and he was saying that. Um, do you know him? I, I, I know of him, but we've never met. Yeah, um, he was saying that he has been taking on new instruments. Do you, do, are you one of those musicians who cross trains? Do you like, and do you think it's important and instructive to pick up other instruments other than the one that you're most comfortable with? 
I, I think that's a great thing to do. I, I have not really done that. Um, <laughs> and I have not had the time to do that. I mean, other, other than the experience of becoming a singer. Right. Record, which there was many musical lessons that was uh, uh, that were learned along the way uh, that I, I, I take to heart now. Um, several from from both the, the viewpoint of the drummer and the viewpoint of the singer. Um, so that that was definitely some. Uh, sorry about that. That was uh, definitely some of the big lessons that I, that I learned from uh, tackling this project from a vantage point that I, I had never dealt with before. Were you. All these years, were you sort of, was this idea for this record germinating? Were you like, I'm going to step up to the mic and I'm going to become the singer of my own solo album? Like, how long, how long did that take for you to get the courage to give that a shot? Absolutely not. I, I, was, I was sort of dragged kicking and screaming into this. Um, well, not really. Uh, my, my old friend J.K. Harrison had been cajoling me for quite some time to do a record. And I would always blow him off. Like, yeah, you th hey, thanks. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was a nice notion to think like the way a boy would wish to be an astronaut or a major league ball player. Right. But I, I, I never thought that I would have the ability, uh, gumption, uh, whatever, to, to actually go through with it. I've always been very shy and sheepish about singing and, and could do it in a background vocal uh, situation surrounded by other guys who are you know, really great singers like being you know, like doing it in, in sticks you know I, I can definitely join in the the harmonies there but to do it by myself out front that literally gave me the feeling of you know when uh, you have the uh, uh you know the dream that you're in front of the your grade school class and you're in your underwear it was that sort of same uh terror really but JK really believed in me and he, can, he cajoled me. And right around that time, when he was kind of hitting me, uh, we were listening to a record by the band Elbow and the song Kindling came on. And my wife just randomly said, you would sound great singing this. If you ever do something, you, you should cover this song. And so that was another, another little germ that was planted, or germ, a seed rather. <laughs> well, maybe it was a germ, who knows? It was a germ, right. Um, uh, that was planted in my head uh, at the time. So that's, that's, you know, the big reason why that song is on the record. There's only one cover on the record and that's, uh, it's kindling and it's, it closes the record actually. Yeah. It's a really cool choice too. And I, I'm a huge elbow fan. And I think you and I both, both love these, these um, British bands. Um, you know, growing up, I remember when I got XTC Skylarking in, in high school, it was like a seismic moment for me. Um, and I saw you name check them and the Blue Nile, which was, I was really surprised because they're not, not a common band to get name checked. Um, the Blue Nile are, are really quite subtle. Um, can you talk a little bit about why you're drawn to a band like that? I'm drawn to music and melodies and lyrics above anything else. And um, I kind of came to the Blue Nile a bit late. Probably nine. Is it probably two years after Hats? Um, and, a, and a friend of mine uh, gave me Hats, and I, I remember uh, reading an interview with uh, Jerry Murata where he was raving about Blue Nile, and there was just something about it that, you know, even though there's not one drum on the whole record, it's all little drum machines. Right. It. it it's the the imagery I get is like walking around Paris on a rainy night. 
I, I love imagery like that and, and something that you could you can pull out of it. Um, uh, there are several, for a band that's only released like four records, they have a few songs that are some of my favorite songs of all time. Um, and actually, uh, on my wife's first record, Taylor Mills, Lullaby, we covered Wish Me Well, which was a, a, a Blue Nile B-side. And actually, you know, and of all the interviews I've done, this has not come up, or I haven't thought of it anyway, but um, that's where, the, that's the first time I ever sang lead on, on anything. Oh. Was, um, we got to the bridge, and it didn't lift. And all of a sudden, I thought, um, well, maybe this could be like a duet. This could be the male's point of view in the song. Uh, and I was working with a guy named Scott Bennett, who's a great singer. Uh, uh, and I thought, well, Scott's not here yet. Let me just go out there and throw down a scratch vocal to see if this would work, and then I'll have Scott sing it. And I went out there and I sang the four lines, four or five lines, whatever it was, and I look up uh, through the glass, and uh, Ike Parnell, the engineer, and, and Taylor both have their thumbs up, shaking them, and I'm looking at them perplexed, like, what do you mean? And Taylor said, that you just did it, that's, that's it you're singing it. And the thought of someone hearing me sing uh, live damn near sent me straight to the bathroom to, to throw up. Uh, <laughs> but th that was my first foray foray in, in something like that. And it was a, a Blue Nile track. Well, I mean, Paul Buchanan is a, a beautiful, very understated singer and oh, very powerful. Oh my God. He's, he's singularly unique. I mean, he has a voice like uh, you know, like Sting or Colin Hay or, or Bob Dylan, like you're the only guy that sounds like that. Right. You know, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's one of my favorites. Mine too. And I, I came on board in 90 for hats um, when I was in college and then I reverse engineered and got walk across the rooftops. Uh -huh. And, um, and then again, I mean, like you said, there's only like four or five albums. And I don't think there's only four maybe. And, um, but what a mysterious, powerful band. And, and also there's a lesson there, I think in subtlety. Um, and, and I wonder if you, if for, for the record, um, for the solo album, did you sort of um, kind of draw on the idea that subtlety is as powerful as, as power and bombast? Absolutely, because that, that's what really affects me on an emotional level the deepest. I would say things like the, the Blue Nile, those, those two Robbie Robertson records. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Peter Gabriel. Uh, th there are certain things that, that just affect me on such a, a deep level that I could be moved to tears. And uh, that ultimately as a human being means more to me than Olympic drumming and a constant barrage of look at me, look at me. Now I, I've spent a lot of years working on technique and playing challenging music and I'm glad that I'm able to do that and I get enjoyment out of that. I mean, I, I had just played on the Antoine Fafard Borromean Odyssey record last year, which was the most challenging music I've ever had to learn or perform by a country mile. Um, so that itch had been scratched, so to speak. Um, and I, I could never put together a fusion record uh, with the brilliance of, of that one. Um, I also didn't want to do a fusion record that wasn't very good that maybe nine people would like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I wasn't interested in that exercise. Maybe I will uh, sometime in the future, but 
being that I gravitate towards um, to the emotion of music, songs, melodies, and the stories in the lyric. Uh, and that was something that I wasn't convinced that I could do. I know I can do a fusion record, but I didn't know that I, I could do this. And the fact that I was terrified, scared, alone, and naked in the night, I felt this is, this is where I needed to be. This is, this is a fear I, I need to try to conquer. I see you smile. I see your pretty face and I see through the ages I hear you laugh I hear your funny laugh and I know it's contagious Sitting here turning pages Did you find that when you were doing vocals that there is something in common with with drums in the sense that there is a percussive element to the way a, a vocal is delivered? Absolutely. With every single line and syllable and vowel that you make, uh, you are creating some sort of, uh, beside uh, tonality, the phrasing of how you put a single line together, much less all the lines have a rhythmic uh, pattern and create a forward or a layback on the beat motion. So singing in time or where you place the time rather, how you phrase it, is just as important as singing in tune. So to sing in tune, to sing in time, connect with the lyric and then connect all the lyrics together into a cohesive tale is crazy hard to do. It's it's a it's an incredibly hard task to put together. So my uh, appreciation uh, and respect for singers of all kinds, whether you're Bob Dylan or Pavarotti and everybody in between, it just went through the roof because it's it's no small feat to be able to do that. What about to be able to do that live? Like someone like, I always took it for granted because he was so good, um, but someone like Phil Collins, when, when he was playing drums uh, and singing for Genesis, um, that's, that's not so easy. <laughs> no, well, I mean, you, 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 hit, you, hit the, you hit the nail right on the head there. I mean, Phil, besides being a, a grossly underrated drummer, um, th those who know, know. Those who don't know, they hear Susudio or In the Air Tonight and go, oh, well, that's it. You know, listen to Selling England by the Pound. I mean, that is a monolith yeah. in uh, progressive rock drumming. Just incredibly, anyone who thinks Phil Collins sucks, listen to that record. You yeah. can't say he sucks. You might not like it. No music is for everyone, but you can't say he sucks. That's in insane. Uh, he's one of my heroes on so many levels in so many different genres and his singing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Genesis file and, uh, that's holy music for me. And the, the way, when we were growing up, people could talk about great, grateful dead bootlegs, you know, Oh, do you have Oakland 76? <laughs> I can talk like Genesis with that, like certain shows. Um, and, and check out Frankfurt 81. It's on YouTube. He's, he's singing. Uh, like he just took a bunch of steroids and went out there. It's that's one of my 
favorite Genesis shows. But his vocal prowess, how he um, got better and stronger and more confident from 76 to 77 to 78, and then the 80 Duke era, that's when he really matured. And by 81, he not that he didn't own it before, but he was just level 10 a behemoth, a, a monster. His vocal phrasing, his intonation, um, just one of my heroes. And and I, I thank Phil in the, in the credits for the inspiration to step out from behind the drums because not enough is written about how insanely improbable that situation was for him. When Peter Gabriel left Genesis, the fans and the critics wrote them off for dead. Right. And here's the drummer going, well, um, I'll, I'll have a go. And then the next record, Sans Peter Gabriel with Phil Collins, Trick of the Tail is a masterpiece and the most successful record to date by Genesis. So this would be the same thing if, say, Bono quit U2 right. and frigging Larry Mullen Jr. goes, um, I'll give it a go. And the next U2 record with Larry Mullen Jr. as the singer is the most popular, successful U2 record to date. That, that is the improbability of what happened with, with Genesis there. I would say that it's the only time that's ever been done. Absolutely. And I, I, I can't believe um, it, it's not more common knowledge or, or more, it's, it's more wondered about, like, how the hell did that happen? That's yeah. astonishing. And, and also, Peter Gabriel um, was such a magnetic, idiosyncratic presence. And Phil is a to has a totally different kind of magnetism. So to step into those shoes, or actually not even his shoes, but to sort of replace that kind of presence is even more improbable. Yes, I mean, especially with, with the theatrics that, that Gabriel right. uh, had and, and the, the costumes, and you know they went hog wild with that on, on the, the Lamb tour, which was Gabriel's last tour, for, for Phil just to come out in a t-shirt and a beard and a, and a tambourine and, and try to pull that off after the... Uh, dog and pony show that was uh, Peter Gabriel's genesis is even more improbable. Yeah, if somebody said to me, you can see Jordan dunk again or Phil Collins behind the drums, for me, it's always going to be Phil Collins. I'd love to see him play again. You know? <laughs> yeah, you, you know, and it, it's, it's funny because um, one, one of the magic uh, fairy dust things that happened during the making of this record was that I got to meet Phil for the first time in September. Wow. Uh, when, when, you know, three months into sort of making this record where I still wasn't totally convinced that this was going to see the light of day. And the fact that I, I met him during the process kind of made it feel like, well, you kind of have to see this through. Um, you know, I, he, he, he gave me 10 minutes of his time an hour before the show and was just absolutely lovely. Uh, and I met him through his son, Nick, um, who I, I knew from, you know, notes back and forth online. Uh, and yeah, he was just absolutely incredibly lovely. And it was, you know, an hour before the show. I, I don't see my mom an hour before the show. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm warming up, I'm doing, I have my routine. I, I am not to be bothered an hour before the show. So the fact that he, he came out and, and walked out under his own power in, in the hallway and, and stood with me and my brother and his son Nick for 10 minutes was uh, just absolutely lovely. Um, and Nick, by the way, is a great player too. Man, he was, he kicked ass. It was just great. Um, 
it, it was it was so fun to see that show and the love that his band has for him. I mean, it you know it's clear that his voice isn't as strong as it was um, you know twenty years ago, but he's surrounded by a band that clearly loves him, supports him. He's got some great background singers, so you know that the ear fills in some missing uh, uh, bits when you're seeing a live show or one of the other singers would, would kind of help out on, on a high note. And it was, it was just really, really a lovely evening. I, I thought the show was fantastic. You know, you and I, I was saying we're the same age. Do you, just in terms of preservation of the body, um, do you, do you have a, a sort of a, a routine where you um, do sort of self care and you look after yourself <laughs> in a way that <laughs> an old guy question I know but <laughs> but uh, you know but it, just in terms of maybe a different a different routine than you had maybe twenty years ago or have you always been good to yourself? No, well, playing has always been my exercise. I have high stamina. Um, I can walk several miles. I, I enjoy doing that. Um, you know, just two years ago. Um, I started for the first time ever going down to some of the workout rooms and, and hotels just to do, uh, you know, some, some biking, uh, a treadmill type of stuff. And then I, I had kind of a se severe back injury and, uh, and sciatica that, that I had to have medical treatment and uh, steroid injections into the spine. Um, so that kind of curbed any extra physical activity. Uh, I, I, I now I have to maintain uh, with stretching um, just to be able to, to, be, to live a, a pain-free existence. So that, that's kind of where it's at now. I've, I've reached, a, I'll be 51 tomorrow and now it's, it's, I've moved into the pain management uh, era of my life. <laughs> <laughs> this is so, the real sexy part of our talk, Todd. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> uh, hey, I need to sleep in a medical bed now. Hey, honey, want to hop into my medical bed? Let's get frisky. <laughs> but I mean, you know, your job is you're sitting behind a kit, and you know, for sciatica, it could be debilitating to be in that position. Yeah, I, I, I did. I had an episode when this exploded, uh, and I had to do two shows um, that I don't even remember because I, I had to be. Uh, shot up with steroids and I had to be on narcotics and I had to have uh, uh, chiropractors at the gig just to get through the last two shows to go home and then go <clears throat> get an MRI and see serious doctors about what is happening here. Uh, it was terrifying. It was terrible. It was the most pain I've ever known. Um, it was basically like I just took three bullets to the back and Ugh. Someone took the Hattori Hanzu sword from Kill Bill and stabbed me in, from the top of my butt straight down my leg into my foot. It was, agony is too kind of a word for it. So yeah, as far as like jogging or working out the weights, like that's anything like that is uh, will be zero for the rest of my life. Was there was there a moment where you thought my career is in jeopardy? In other words, you were that concerned? Oh yeah, after playing the first show. I couldn't get out of my bunk. And I, when I finally did, I had to be carried, you know, a human being on either side of me from the bus into the hotel, into the hotel room where I was lying on, on, the, on the, the, the bed. And I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't move, I couldn't get up. The, the pain was searing. And I called my wife and as soon as I heard 
her voice say hello, uh, I just burst into tears and I thought, this is it. I'm in so much pain. How could this, how could I ever be fine again? This was, how, however bad you think it hurt, now add the space between the, the, the earth and the moon. It was insane. Um, so yeah, it, it was really terrifying. And, and, and I, I have to say that uh, my GP, who's not my GP anymore, said, uh, I don't see how this doesn't end in back surgery and started recommending back surgeons. And I had a chiropractor here that said, well, hold on one second, maybe, uh, but go see uh, my guy, Dr. Vijay at the Texas Pain Partners. And man, he, he fixed me up. These steroid shots, they, they worked. I know they don't work for, for everyone, but for me, I, I, I got them and I did all the exercises and people kept saying, you know, that's a Band-Aid, man. You know, you know the, the, the penny's gonna drop and it, it's gonna come back again. So I was lived in terror that that was going to happen. But I just kept doing the exercises, kept doing the exercises. And it was last December when I finally went back for like the, the final checkup. And he said, no, man, you're, if, if it was going to come back, that would have come back months ago. You're, you're good. So, yeah, I mean, you, you did the work. I mean, you did the work because it doesn't work without the exercises. Yes. Yes. Right. Um, and so you're, it, it also speaks to a self-discipline um, that I'm imagining you probably had very early on in your life with practicing your instrument. Well, I, you know, I, 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 I didn't want that pain to come back. And, uh, and when you practice an instrument, you have a certain goals and certain things that you, you hope to achieve. So you have uh, some sort of uh, vision where, where you want to get to, and then you, you just keep going. You know, if you're swimming across the English Channel, you just keep swimming. Right, <laughs> right. Exactly. Are you, um, in terms of you've made this record and now that it's done, the first one's done, uh, do you feel like the sky is the limit for future projects? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you were going to say that. No, well, see, the, well the, I, I, no, I'm not saying that there's a limit. I'm, I'm just saying that I can't, I've been very, very fortunate in my career that things have happened that I never could have imagined them happening. And I've gotten to work with or meet uh, so many of my heroes or do shows. You know, uh, my entire career with Sticks, I've basically been on 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 bills with and toured with the entire radio of my youth. Right. None of these things I, I could have imagined. I couldn't have imagined playing on the Antoine Fafard record. I couldn't imagine doing this record. So. I kind of like living in the moment and kind of going day by day and seeing what, what feels right and seeing what directions I'm sort of blown in. Uh, I know that sounds uh, whatever, um, trite, but it, it's, it's kind of true. I, I couldn't have imagined any of this. So, um, you know, I've been asked, hey, are you gonna take this record on the road? No, I have no plans of doing that. I have no plans of being some sort of singing celebrity and I'm not gonna leave the band or, you know, whatever. Uh, this was just a grand experiment to see if I could pull off something I didn't know that I could. And if people enjoy the music, sort of that is the, uh, the reward at this time, you know, to, to, if, if people enjoy the music at this time in history and this time in their lives, then that is a beautiful, beautiful thing for me. Uh, anything above and beyond that, I, I, I can't fathom or imagine. And, you know, any, anything that I can imagine will be at the other side of this situation that we're going through in the world right now. You know, right. uh, I, I, did a, I did a podcast about a week ago with 
uh, a couple other drummers and the, the interviewer asked, so guys, what, what's your dream gig? And without missing a beat, I just said, the next one. <laughs> right. Yeah. right, right, exactly. The fact that there would even be a next one is something to look forward to. Yes. Um, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you, um, I wanted to sneak in a question about XTC. Um, can you talk a little bit about what appealed to you about that band? Well, there's so many different eras of XTC. It's kind of hard. Um, it's kind of hard to en encapsulate it because there's so many different different bits. But uh, for me, my favorites would be from Skylarking on. Um, th th those are, are my favorites. And if I had to choose a favorite, I'd have to go with Nonsuch. Mm. Wow. Uh, that that is one of my favorite records of all time. I think it's one of the greatest records of all time. But it took me several years to come to that opinion. I, I initially thought that 17 tracks was too much. If they would have scaled that down to 11, it, it would have been one of the greatest records. You know, Sergeant Pepper, uh, Pet Sounds, you know, level record. But then I learned to love all the songs on there. Um, and Dave Maddox's drumming on that record is just something that I, I hold dear to me. And the fact that Dave and I have become uh, pals is another thing that's, you know, I couldn't have, I couldn't have imagined that, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I, for me, Nonsuch really has a lot of Brian Wilson sensibilities with a lot of sour Englishness. So I sort of en envision, um, you know, those old sooty row houses in uh, in northern England, yeah, yeah with with palm trees around them. <laughs> that's that's the imagery I, I I get from from that record, and it's one of those records that as long as I've had it all all these decades now, I will still hear something new in there. All of a sudden, something will 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 stick out, and I'll think, gee, I never noticed that before, or I never. Oh, listen to that harmony. I never really thought what that harmony line, uh, uh, low harmony line underneath the vocal is, and I'm I'm just. About once a year, I will pull out that record and I'll just write it hard for like two weeks um, and, and marvel at it and, and talk to people about it again. It, it's, you know, again, no music is for everyone, but that, that record just just kills me. And, and, if, and if you know the song, My Bird Performs, I, 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 I say this with no arrogance. It, it, it takes something pretty special for me to have no idea how someone played something. It doesn't mean that I can play everything, but I, I know what it was. I had no idea what Dave was playing on that song. And uh, the second time we met, we did the Chicago drum show together. And there was a, a drum set, we were kind of in, in a corner. And I, I sat him down at the kit. I said, please play My Bird Performs. He goes, oh, 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 oh this? And he plays the most elegant, beautiful uh, little rhythm that was very, very simple. I had somehow projected overdubs and well, I used a mallet on a floor tom with a, a, a with a, a towel over it. Just and he just played it, and my jaw hit the floor. It was it was something that I could have played when I was nine, but the way he played it and with his touch, it was just friggin' magic. So, you know, uh, that that record holds a very special place in my heart. It's a it's a, a fantastic album. I love that album. Um, and by the way, I always thought Elbow is sort of, they remind me of sort of like this era's Genesis. I, I think they're sort of one of those, um, 
that's how I always think. I love that band. Uh, it, it, it's funny. They're, they're, they're a mix of that, but without the technical prowess. They're, they're, a, they're a mix of something with the lush open landscape of a Blue Nile, but with some uh, a Gabriel-esque uh, bits in there. They're, they're just a, a beautiful cinematic band to me. Yeah, I love, I love them. Um, Todd, what a great chat. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, and uh, what, what, a, what a cool conversation. No, this was great. Uh, Alex, I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, this was uh, much fun for me. there you go. Just a a casual conversation with quite possibly the greatest drummer on the planet. Todd Zuckerman. What a nice guy. Um, Go to his website, toddzuckerman.com. It's Todd with two Ds and it's Zuckerman, S-U-C-H-E-R-M-A-N.com and uh, see what's going on with him. Order his album. His album is beautiful. It really is. It's a moving song cycle uh, that is heartfelt and uh, observational and introspective and sentimental in all the right ways. I mean, the guy's got muscle behind the kit. We know that. That is well established. Uh, but as a singer, um, he really uh, has this voice that just lifts and soars and takes flight. And uh, it is really uh, a beautiful instrument that uh, that he's sharing with us. It's It's something else. So do check it out, okay? All right. Uh, go to my website. Find out what's going on with me. I don't have a beautiful voice. It's not uh, soaring into the heavens with with uh, nice pop choruses. I don't do that. I'm kind of a weird uh, guy behind the microphone with a potentially distracting lisp. However, I'm also an author, and my new book, Mal Rowe and the Midnight Organ Fight, it's available to be pre-ordered anywhere you pre-order books or order books. I don't know. Where do you order books? Hopefully, an indie bookseller. Yeah, yeah, it's on Amazon. You can drone it into your life if you need to do that. Fine. Uh, but I, I would prefer if, you, uh, if you'd go to your indie bookseller and have them take care of the ordering duties. All right? Okay. Uh, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Use the one that you use. Subscribe. Leave a nice comment. Tell all your friends. Rinse and repeat. Stereo Embers uh, is very grateful that you listen to us every week. I'm acting like it's a, it's a separate weird entity that I feed in the darkness. Stereo Embers is very grateful for the food I give it. Stereo Embers, the podcast, we here at the show, all of us, we have a small crew, but we're very grateful uh, that you listen every week and you write us letters and, uh, and you uh, give us your support in all the ways that you do. It really does mean a lot. Follow us on Twitter at Embers Editor or follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast or email me editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Want to hear Todd do an amazing drum solo somewhere up in the mountains? Well, I have that right here, and it's going to blow your mind. So get ready. Take a seat. Clear the area around you. Uh, don't, uh, don't have anything fragile nearby because it's going to be blown to smithereens all right enjoy this one this is todd suckerman doing a solo uh that might rank among uh, my favorite things i've ever heard 
uh, in my life. So enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio.